Welcome back to Everything is Public Health, the Public Health Explained series, a series where we break down a public health-related topic into lovely bite-sized pieces. I'm MJ. And I'm Cass. So this week, we'll wrap up our mini-series on welfare with the healthcare portion of the welfare package. Now, before listeners you say anything, what about housing? What about education? Like, no, we get it. Those are bigger issues that we will have to cover in a possibly a, a separate entire mini-series because of how important housing is. So we'll get back to those. But right now, we're rounding out our welfare mini-series with Medicaid and CHIP today. So the U.S. is a country without universal health care for various reasons. None of them are very good reasons. But as a result of this situation, the sad reality, as one might say, we have millions of people that are either underinsured or uninsured, which is a big deal in our country because everything is really expensive, particularly healthcare. And we talked previously in multiple episodes and just in passing talking about this. Health insurance is very important for people's health and public health is because we have reached a point where healthcare is simply unaffordable if you pay everything out of pocket. And health insurance is a way essentially in the modern era to ensure people get healthcare because without health insurance, people either don't get healthcare or they cannot afford healthcare and financial ruin. We know how terrible that is. One of the main ways folks in the U.S. get health insurance is through their employer. For people who don't have employer-based health insurance, but maybe are in need of insurance and have certain income requirements, there's a thing called Medicaid. So first off, we have in the U.S. Medicaid and Medicare. They sound very similar. I have students all the time asking me questions about one, but meaning the other. So just to get everybody on the same page right now, Medicare is for people who are older. Generally, the cutoff has been 65 and older, or you have some disability, for example, end-stage renal disease, ALS, something that sort of has given you a long-term disability of, of a certain kind. Medicaid, in contrast, is for the quote-unquote needy. It's mostly based on income level, but they're not mutually exclusive. You can be dual eligible. So if you are an older adult or as someone with a disability who is also low income, you may be on Medicaid and Medicare at the same time. Yeah. And today, we will dive into the inner workings of Medicaid. The program was, uh, like its cousin, Medicare, born out of the Social Security Amendment in 1965. This isn't our first foray into Medicaid. Do you remember that we did an episode about the Medicaid gap? Yes. So we talked about how there are people who make too much money to get services through Medicaid, but not enough money to be able to purchase private insurance on their own or don't receive employer-based health care. So we have these traditionally young, healthy adults who do not have children who are not eligible to receive uh, health insurance through Medicaid. Yeah. I mean, this is a theme. Like, this is what happens when you have cutoffs. You know, when you have like a strict cutoff line for either income or whatever, as soon as you're even a dollar over that cutoff line, you just don't qualify. And that leads to something called churn, where yes. people sort of cycle in and out of eligibility, which creates disruption in services and impacts people's health and well-being. Yeah. So in that episode, we'll recap it slightly, but we'll talk about overall Medicaid in general. We have highlighted some of the issues of our Medicaid program already, and those issues align with the common themes that we've been covering throughout this miniseries. So one, that it's state-run. Some states, I'm not going to say who, but some states do not want to expand coverage, right? Under the ACA, ACA says, hey, you know, we're trying to over 
overall our uh, health care system and uh, it'll be really nice if you expand coverage of medicaid to cover the people that previously wasn't covered we will give you a matching incentive i.e federal funds if you do this some states not gonna name who said no thank you we like our poor sick (laughs) (laughs) that's not what i doubt that they said we want our poor sick that's maybe not politically feasible but it all comes back to the way we've been talking in previous episodes about framing who's needy and who's worthy of having those needs met yeah so basically led to thousands of possibly you know tens hundreds of thousands of uninsured people remaining uninsured because those states refused to expand medicaid and you might be thinking well it's well it's a state-run program like it's federally funded but state-run so states also need to contribute to medicaid like money-wise so maybe those states just don't want to pay those extra money and i would say the ACA thought about this and said, we will give you extra funding. We'll give you extra matching if you do this. And they still said no. So I just want to point that out real quick. So today we will discuss more details about how Medicaid works, uh, starting with the numbers. More than 84 million Americans were enrolled in Medicaid last year in 2022. That's bonkers. <laughs> That's a lot of people. That is just under a quarter of the entire U.S. population. It's a lot of people. <laughs> it is a lot of people. Not only is that a lot of people, it's a lot of money. We spent $734 billion, almost to the same amount that we spend on military, on the Medicaid program. That is more than what we spend on Medicare as well. So I think people often think, because Medicare gets talked about a lot, because, you know, let's face it, the Medicare population tends to be a little bit more vocal. So Medicare gets talked about a lot, but Medicaid is more costly is that the right word yeah it's more costly than medicare and i think people just don't understand how important and how big medicaid is like people talk about medicare all the time nope medicaid covers way more people we spend way more money on medicaid um it is the single largest source of health coverage in the u.s it is not medicare medicare is not the single largest source of health coverage in the u.s caveat you could make the argument that because it's a state-run program it is not a single source of health coverage but from a funding perspective it is So as you were just mentioning, uh, Medicaid is funded by both state and federal budgets. Specifically, the federal government has matching funds. Usually it's at least one-to-one matching funds, but sometimes more. Yes, we will come back to this because some states get more and some states don't get more. And some states choose to not get more. Yeah, some states choose to have more. So we'll come back to this later. But uh, the same issue that we see in other welfare programs, states have wide, wide discretion about how to run their programs, including who to cover. So in traditional Medicaid, like prior to the ACA, if you are an adult without children, you're not covered. Like It's not required to cover you. Like Some states expanded their eligibility, but it is not required by the federal government or anything to cover those people. That's why the ACA wants to remedy that by saying, please expand your coverage. Please. People need health care. Please expand your coverage. But states can pick. There are certain groups that are covered now, not covered before. So traditionally, people with disabilities, low-income children, low-income pregnant women, low-income parents, low-income seniors are covered. A lot of people are not in this group. Yeah, so the ACA, to encourage that, they failed to get all of our U.S. states to expand coverage for low-income adults. And to this day, there are still 12 states that have not taken up Medicaid expansion, and those states have much higher uninsured rates. In fact, over half of the nation's uninsured population live in those 12 states. The rest is distributed to the other 
38 i had to do a little math yeah the rest is <laughs> distributed through the other 38 but yeah like half is concentrated in those 12 states who refuse to expand medicaid i don't know correlation causation much <laughs> but yeah like and i think another thing to know is that medicaid services are very broad so they not only cover basic health care they also cover like long-term services for some people and some covered eyes and dental but it's really dependent on what state and sometimes what program the states are contracting out because states as you know, like our state government doesn't actually provide healthcare. They contract people who actually do provide healthcare. So the, the coverage ranges broadly depending on where you are. And you maybe started to allude to this, but most of Medicaid services are delivered through private managed care plans. So some kind of Medicaid managed care plan. And only about a third of people who are enrolled are through these traditional fee for service where you go see someone and the federal government pays the provider for that service. These managed care organizations are taking on more risk. They receive a certain amount of resources per enrollee. And if they spend less than the amount of money they receive, they get to keep that and as a benefit for having taken on this managed care program. But if their enrollees are more expensive, then they, they're losing money in this. And there are some things that states have to cover to be able to participate in the Medicaid program. This is the service floor. So you can't deny some kinds of services, but then other states have said, we're going to be more generous or have more expansive services. Some of the things that you had mentioned. Quick aside on the managed care plan. So you're right in that most of them operate via, I think it's called lump sum kind of system where they get like certain amount per- Like capitated Yeah, capitated. But not all of them. The technical definition of a managed care plan or organization is simply that they have this in-network physician group that if you're in that plan, you can only see people within this network. If you want to see people outside of that network, you need to pay essentially fee for service. So, Well, no, wait. Medicaid managed care organizations are all capitated. Are they all capitated? Yeah. That's the whole point of being... Well, so to be fair... I just want to say the in-network part is what makes a managed care. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So it's partly... You have to see certain providers who have agreed to be in network, but it's also there are certain pharmacy rules. So if you are part of a Medicaid managed care organization, you may be required to fill the generic versions of prescriptions, which is a good thing, which work just as well, but they're less expensive, right? So you can actually see substantial cost savings by by these managed care organizations through better sort of pharmacy practices in terms of generic. We can do a whole episode about pros and cons of managed care organizations. That's like a whole can of worms. But, you know, to come back to the point that I was saying earlier, matching rates are not the same for all states or populations. So the federal government gives more incentive for states to cover certain population as part of the ACA. And generally, states with a lower per capita income have a higher matching rate, which means states that do the least to care for their population, they get more generous matching. Am I making sense? Can I take a crack at this? Yeah, yeah. Matching rates are not the same for all states and all populations, as we've discussed a little bit. The federal government can give more incentives to states to cover certain populations. So, for example, states that have a lower per capita income have higher matching. And we've been talking about how certain states were less likely to expand services. These are states 
states that may be less inclined to generally provide more socialistic style policies. Yes. <laughs> these are places that are are not making these resources available to a wider group of folks, but they get more generous matching because these states that are not expanding Medicaid access also tend to be the states that have lower per capita incomes. Yes. Makes me feel. <laughs> All the feels? All the feels. Because... This is too spicy. I can't say it. So Medicaid makes a big difference, right? It saves money in the long run. So why don't all states expand Medicaid? If it saves money in the long run, we see that it works. And we see that not only saves money for people, but it also saves money for the state government, state and federal government itself. So why don't all states expand Medicaid? So that's the million dollar question, the, the billion dollar question, maybe. I mean, I think we've talked about this several times, but it is if your platform is reducing government spending, smaller government. The number of times I've seen signs that say, get government out of my Medicare. Hilarious. Hilarious. (laughs) Medicare is government. Okay. (laughs) Right. But if your platform is reducing costs, even though you're saving money long term by expanding Medicaid, you have to spend more money up front. And that is inconsistent with your platform, despite it being the best possible thing for your state. And I think, and I mean, part of the reason is that because we're on a, you know, not not a short, relatively short, we're on a you know four-year turnover for a lot of representatives, sometimes two-year turnover for a lot of representatives. And because you're on such a high turnover rate, like those representatives are incentivized to fix short-term things because they're on like a two-year timer. They're on a four-year timer or a six-year timer to get either reelected or do stuff. And as a result, they are not incentivized to think long-term, like despite plenty of academic and economic evidence saying that if you expand Medicaid or if you make, if you have more generous coverage upfront, you save way more money long-term. Something that is less known and doesn't get as much attention is CHIP, which stands for the Children's Health Insurance Program. Uh, This is another one of those things that I had no idea existed prior to school. Did you? And how would you describe CHIP? So I learned about CHIP in my master's program. We talked a lot about the Children's Health Insurance Program and thinking about an opportunity to expand health insurance coverage to kids. So low-income kids are already covered on Medicaid, but trying to address the Medicaid gap for other kids who are not low-income enough So making sure that kids have insurance to be able to get all of their vaccines and preventive health services, well visits, all that kind of stuff. CHIP was sort of put into place to make sure that we don't have kids who aren't receiving care because their parents otherwise can't get them insurance. Yeah, you got it spot on. And it is something that I also didn't know prior to my master's program. And CHIP, 7 million enrolled in CHIP last year in 2022. Significantly less, but you know, still a chunk, a big chunk of children enrolled in CHIP. 41 million children enrolled in either Medicaid or CHIP. In other words, when looking at the whole Medicaid and CHIP population, children take up a huge chunk of it. Which makes a ton of sense when we think about who we deem worthy among mm-hmm, those mm-hmm. who are needy. Children, their circumstances are largely outside of their control. And so it makes perfect sense that we would do things to make sure that children are getting some of those basic needs met. So, yeah, it's not surprising that the enrollees are a huge proportion and that the costs of those programs are are for kids. Yeah, but also... 
we talked about how like the cutoff effect. Yeah, like I guess adults are not as vulnerable as children, but you know, if someone turns eighteen, they're not suddenly like, oh, I am better off now now that I'm eighteen. So there's also like the cutoff effect on age too. Chip costs twenty billion dollars in 2019. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have the 2022 stats, but again, less than Medicaid, but still a huge chunk of change for covering Chip. I've always thought of Chip as like a supplement of Medicaid, and there's merit to that comparison, but it also doesn't work that well. Uh, we can go over similarities and differences. So one similarity: it is operated by the state, like uh, Medicaid is. Both are jointly funded by uh, federal government and state government. Federal government give matching funds, ratio difference depending on the state, like we mentioned before. It's tended to cover people, in this case, children with low income. So it is still a very much so like a, a welfare program in that sense. Like it's not just like all children, you get to be covered. No, it's there's still income test. So some of the differences between CHIP and Medicaid, CHIP is a much younger program. It really came in in the 1990s and expanded over time. It is both more generous and has greater inclusion criteria. So as opposed to Which is good. children who are on Medicaid, where there are really low poverty levels, really low income, CHIP, some states will cover kids in families up to 400% of the federal poverty level. And so you're getting a much larger group of kids who might otherwise fall into a gap where they don't qualify for Medicaid, but their parents otherwise don't have access to insurance. And an important difference, although this is you know sometimes in, in conversation for some of our other entitlement programs, but CHIP is on a deadline. It is not a permanent program. It is set to expire in 2027 unless it is renewed. And the way the government is going and maybe not even be able to pass a budget or raise the debt ceiling. Yeah. We'll see if they can keep CHIP renewed. I'm trying to remember the last time. Was it 2017? So is it every 10 years? I'm trying to remember. I remember I was at Hopkins the last time I was hearing about like CHIP and CHIP was being talked about a lot with renewal. Is it every 10 years that it gets renewed? It's something like that. I don't know the exact number, but Trump Trump was the one that signed the renewal just because I don't think he had any other option. It's not a good look to take it's not a good services look. Yeah. away from children. Yeah, he didn't have a lot of option. But then again, a lot of things happened during that four years that was like, wow, you can do this. I didn't know you could do this. <laughs> but as we've talked about in this episode and, and really throughout the all of the episodes that we've ever done in the show, it is way better to pay for preventive services and attending to things on the front end than waiting to deal with the consequences. It is way less costly. It is way more effective. And it improves the health and well-being if we can give people the preventive primary care services that they need. Keeps them out of the hospital and reduces costs. And don't you want to just have everyone be happier? Don't you want to just have everyone basic needs met? I feel like that's a good message to believe in. There are some people who don't. Yeah, there's some, there people, some who people who don't. really don't. And there's a special place in hell for them. Yes, there is. Um, cool. All right. Thank you so much for listening. To- <laughs> <laughs> I had more to say, but I was like, mm, no, it's going to go off the rails. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Public Health Explained. Being sick isn't a choice, so why should healthcare be inaccessible? 
Food for Thought. New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen. It helps the show immensely. Send us questions or comments to everythingispublichealth at gmail.com. Reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. Follow us on Twitter at everythingisph or Instagram at everythingispublichealth. We are now also on Mastodon at everythingispublichealth. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Krifasi. More information regarding this episode can be found in the show notes below. Listeners, we have a Patreon page that is also our website. Please visit the site for all major updates and bonus material. If you want to support the podcast directly, you can support us on our Patreon page as well. I'll also be posting more frequently on Mastodon going forward. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health. <laughs>